everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove, uh, not with me, still in the hospital, still on the mend, recovering, should be back uh, early next week, but we're going to give him time off to recover. Uh, he is feeling fine, uh, so do not worry, but also I'm sure he appreciates any positivity sent his way, so thank you for thinking of him. Uh, but without Daryl, I'm instead going to be talking to Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. Uh, Felipe has been on the show several times. I'm not going to say many. He's not quite reached that point yet, but several times, and I always really enjoy talking to him. This time, he is freshly back from St. Louis, where he was uh, there covering the U.S.'s one-to-one draw with Uruguay. And I want to pause here to say that uh, on tomorrow's show, we're planning to have Joe Lowry back on to help me kind of do a post-mortem of this international break to look at like which players stood out, which players hurt their stock, which players helped, who we want to see more of, who we want to see less of, and getting into sort of the individual performances from some of the U.S. players against Uruguay and also against Mexico. So I say that to say that this conversation with Felipe is a bit more about sort of the philosophy of the U.S. right now, uh, because I'm really interested in his experience covering Uruguay. Uh, he gets to kind of sit down and chat with uh, Oscar Tabarez for a little bit, or got to last night, and sort of how Tabarez sees the U.S.'s development, but then how Greg Berhalter sees it, how it relates to other teams that uh, Felipe has covered, specifically Atlanta United, when they were their kind of growing pains early on under Tata Martino, and the kind of correlation to this current iteration of the national team, because obviously, like, you can take a lot of stuff away from that one-to-one draw with Uruguay. Oh, this guy was good. This guy was bad. But it all still has that sort of couching of like, ah, you know, it wasn't like a friendly and we're not sure how good they were. And so it's tough to draw hard conclusions, which is a thing that I'm going to say for me and Joe to try to figure out how to do. What I wanted to get into with Felipe this time around was sort of where the United States stands in terms of embracing that philosophy, in terms of embracing this new style of play and how it seems to be manifesting or not manifesting and the kind of challenges that remain. Uh, I think we initially set it on maybe like a quick 15 to 20 minute chat and then as we tend to do went long because there's lots uh, lots of great uh, points in there from Felipe he always brings it when it comes to his uh, appearances on the Total Soccer Show and for that we're very much appreciative so with all that said I will say uh, joining me now I've got Mr. Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. Felipe thank you very much for taking the time today I know you're only just getting back into Atlanta from St. Louis uh, so we very much appreciate you being on the show. Anytime Taylor always a pleasure. So you're back in Atlanta now. First of all, I'm glad to know it's always a pleasure. Second of all, uh, you're back in Atlanta, as I said. Uh, but last night you were in St. Louis. You were covering uh, the USA-Uruguay game for The Athletic. Uh, and, and I want to talk a lot about the U.S. national team, obviously. But I first want to start with Uruguay, actually, because mm-hmm. you uh, were on the show during the Copa America talking about all the different teams, but Uruguay obviously in there as well. So you have more familiarity with them than I do, certainly, than a lot of other people do, certainly. Uh, they were without Luis Suarez, Edson Cavani, and Diego Gomez. Dean, to name a few last night. They didn't look particularly inclined to press or mark aggressively. Uh, a lot of tweets I saw were kind of talking about how they were playing at maybe like two-thirds speed thereabouts. Uh, so I'm wondering if that felt like a standard performance to you from what you've seen of them in the past, or were they trying new stuff and it was maybe more like experimental team? I think it's a combination. Um, and, you know, for me personally to see Uruguay up close in the flesh was, was great. You know, they're a team, they're a very, in my opinion, a, a classic South American power, you know, like if you ask them, it's funny because they're very confident and, you know, like professionally arrogant on the field. Uh, but they don't tend to put themselves in the same company as Argentina, 
and Brazil, even though they are. I mean, I think if you look at titles and all that, maybe you can argue that they're not. But nobody in South America ever looks forward to playing Uruguay ever. Uh, and so I think they that was that was what we were expecting, like that type of mentality, you know, like the the famous, you know, the the, the Uruguayan dark arts, uh, you know, a team that's just going to kind of outmuscle you, out physical you. And, you know, obviously they're they're missing some key players that are able to do that. You know, you have Diego Godin, who is, you know, the uh, of really the, the heart and soul, if you will, of that team. Um, you know, their center back is out. You know, he's with Inter Milan now and he, he was injured, so he didn't make the trip. And then, you know, the big guns in, in Luis Suarez and Edson Cavani. Uh, couldn't make it so that that really changed the profile of the team i think it, I, I do think it changed the way they played um but in the at the same time last night I, I think we were able to see kind of the future of that team what it may look like and what they you know some of their strengths you know i think their midfield is really classy really really like tough to break down some really good players uh you know betancourt who plays for juventus he didn't lose the ball once last night. Like, I, and I don't need to go to Opta and like look at the stats. I was watching. Okay, like I was like watching this guy, and he never lost possession. Uh, he was when he was under duress. He never looked like he was, you know, troubled at all. Uh, and and I think that just shows really, you know, that that caliber of player that Uruguay has. Uh, Federico Valverde, who's a 21-year-old now playing for Real Madrid, uh, another guy that looked really clean on the ball, uh, confident in midfield. And, and and I think those you can see like how that what the type of talent that that team has. Obviously, Brian Rodriguez from LAFC comes on and, you know, just really dices Aaron Long on, on, on a really clinical uh, counterattack that I think what gets lost in that. And now that we're speaking like really, truly what Uruguay does, that that play comes from, I think, a, a corner or a set piece. Something happens in, in, in their own box, in Uruguay's box. It, it bounces out to, to I think... Um, Arrascaeta, who's who's their who was their number ten, mm-hmm. you know, during this camp, and he he's sitting at his own like at the top of his box. He's got a guy on him. I don't know if it's, it's I don't remember it if it's Jackson. I think it was rolled on. Was it rolled on? Okay, yeah, so, so he just like just shields the ball, you know, just like creates space between himself and the defender, shields the ball, and just kind of one touches it to I think it's Valverde who just takes off, and so that that to me is like. It's just those little things that they know how to do. They know how to use their body. They know how to, you know, create tempo. Then they see opportunity, and so um, it was great to see that. Um, I think obviously they weren't full strength, but still, you know, quality side. I want to go back to your point about Bentoncourt for a moment because you were saying like you don't need the stats. You watched him. You observed him. You saw him. With that in mind, like how are you uh, when you're covering these games? Like how are you watching these games? Do you try to watch both teams equally to see what they're doing? Are you looking for particular narratives coming in that then influence how you watch the game? Yeah, I think it's a little of both. I think for last night's game, and, and it was funny, I don't know if, if there's video out there during the the pre, the day before press conference with Greg Berhalter, I asked him, like, I peppered him with questions about the midfield. And it got to a point where he was like, are you going to ask me another question about the midfield? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, actually, I am. And so so that was my focus uh, last night was to look at who, you know, who the U.S. was going to employ in central midfield, because I feel like that's an area uh, that, that is still kind of up in the air. There's It's a strong, you know, for the pool it's pretty deep um there are some good players there but the roles are undefined so i felt like that was an opportunity for some other players to to step in and and make you know really make some tough decisions for for greg berhalter moving forward as far as who do i have 
as as alternatives to Weston McKinney and and Tyler Adams when they're back and Michael Bradley who you know I still think it's difficult to take him out of that that role as kind of that 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 holding midfield number six so I was watching that and 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 so obviously by watching Jackson Ewell pretty closely last night you know I was focusing on the central midfield of of Uruguay as well and and it was interesting because last night you know Oscar Tabárez who's you know, El Maestro, a legend, an icon in, in, in coaching, uh, the Uruguay manager has been with the team since 2006. Uh, you know, anytime he's you're you're in front of him, um, it, you know, he will speak philosophically about the sport and, and how it needs to change or with the improvements and all that. So he was made available after the game. Uh, and I waited, obviously. I, I actually skipped part of the mix zone to talk to Tabares last night. Um, and, and it was worth it because not only did he give me some just great stuff about just development and, 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 and really focusing on, on youth and the U23 uh, level being so important to national teams, but he broke down what happened in the game. And he, one of the things he told me was, you know, the, the U.S. to us, like they were like, we studied film. We watched Jamaica from Gold Cup. He didn't say Gold Cup, but I'm pretty sure that's the game he was referring to, um, and the Mexico game. So again, not sure if he meant the pre the the recent one or the Gold Cup, but he did say, and we you know we we didn't recognize a lot of the players that were on the field for the U.S. because, and he mentioned you know some of their best players weren't there. Obviously, alluding to you know Christian Pulisic, McKinney, and, and some other guys. So um, it, it caused a little bit of issues for them, and in particular, he said you know number 14 played 30 minutes in a free role. We didn't even touch him, and so he's referring to Jackson who if you remember had a pretty good first half you know yep. had a pretty good you know first 35 minutes and Tabarez was like we didn't we left him alone for 30 minutes and so we adjusted um and and made sure that someone was watching him and, and then he said I think we really did control the second half and then and, and someone really dominated and then he you know he referred to the fluky goal that the U.S. scored um but that was interesting because then when in the mix zone when i talked to jackson i said hey you know so their manager just realized just called you out saying that you know you were causing some issues for them and he was like yeah i realized when they adjusted they had a guy marking me like kind of tracking me after that and so it caused a little issues for jackson they had to adjust as well um that makes me happy that they had to adjust to jackson yule uh because i i saw that as well that like for the first 20 minutes he sort of was allowed to do whatever he wanted but that was really surprising to me because we had uh, Sam on earlier in the week to preview the Uruguay game, and his like I kind of raised the idea of what do you do against a team that doesn't press. I talked to Tonori about this last night as well, and he was like, "Yeah, but why wouldn't you press them? Like now you kind of have the blueprint from Mexico of go at them, yeah. press them. They're going to be uh, like not able to deal with it at least right now." So with that in mind, it was really surprising to me that Uruguay didn't try to do that at all. That it did take them twenty minutes to kind of decide to mark Jackson Yule. Is that not a thing they usually do? Do they not usually press, or do you? feel like just because it was new people on the field they weren't quite as inclined to go for that i i guarantee i can you know i don't have anyone told me this but i guarantee to your point yeah they probably saw film they saw what what the type of pressure that if you know if you put if you press the u.s and you put pressure on them like mexico did um, you're going to cause some turnovers in some very dangerous places. I think that is typical of, of Uruguay of like capitalizing on mistakes and kind of like counter pressing and, and, and being really like having guys that can hunt the ball down in like really dangerous places 
places and putting you in difficult spots. Now, they're not a pressing team, though. I don't think traditionally they have been. But, you know, on kickoff, they went right after the U.S. The U.S. kicked off, had possession, went all the way back to to, to Brad Guzan and, the, and you know, it was Betancourt who was, like, leading the press, like, right in the first minute. And I remember thinking, like, okay, well, yeah, they, they uh, maybe that was them saying, we're going to we're gonna do this for the first five and see what happens and see if they play out of it. The U.S., actually did play out of it pretty well and then you know Uruguay I think settled into what they normally do which is like kind of that mid block um and let's be honest like I think they we they did coast a little bit Uruguay I don't think they, their foot was on the gas you know they I was I was really hoping the U.S. would score first because I think that would have really lit a fire under a lot of the guys uh, playing for Uruguay I mean they have guys that were that are fighting for for spots too you know there, there's a Copa America next season you know World Cup qualifying starts in March and so uh, this wasn't like they weren't just taking it easy, but I don't think they were going like full on, full out. There were moments where they were put under pressure where I could see, you know, Jose Maria Jimenez and you know, Atletico Madrid uh, center back and, and Gasades, like where they would realize like, OK, I'm getting beat. And they would really like turn on, like put it in third, set fourth gear and, and, and try and get back. You know, and that that to me was a sign of like, OK, they're not they're never going to take a night off. But I don't think Uruguay was really like completely dialed in and thinking this is a really important match. I think they spent a lot of energy in that match in Costa Rica. So uh, I, I would agree with that about the Costa Rica match. I would agree that maybe like they ha- they weren't as dialed in, but then they did have to adjust, which yep. then is like it makes it difficult for me though because obviously we tend to focus on the U.S. men's national team, and it makes it hard for me to sort of come away from this thinking like, well, was this a good game then? Because even though Uruguay, with everything we've already talked about, like it was still the United States did cause problems on occasion. They looked better in possession. It felt like some things did click. So I'm wondering for you then, like, did you see this as a positive result for the United States? in the way they played or like I guess the best way to put it is like not even a bad result but was it more of a just like yeah okay that happened let's see what happens next yeah it's kind of that it's kind of I think it's a good result in that they didn't lose I don't think they it would have it would you know in the in the big picture long term had they lost it probably wouldn't have mattered okay just because Mm -hmm. they were playing with the second team it was really they were they were missing some key guys you know on the U.S. side but a third consecutive loss would not have been good you know, for for just the PR of this organization and for and for Greg Berhalter having to go to another press conference and, and ask ask answer questions about, you know, why why isn't this team scoring? Why aren't they winning? What is the mentality? Like is is it fragile? Things like that. So, you know, a, a draw against Uruguay, I think, was really was great for the U.S. in that aspect, um, you know, but when you, you know, what can you take away from it? It's difficult because it's it's not – it really did feel like a, you know, uh, a pre – like an organized friendly, you know? Like, and so I remember watching – going to these games as a kid and you're just like, I can't wait to see so-and-so play. You're not like yeah. really there to talk about tactics. But I think there was some improvement. I think that um, – you know, Greg Berhalter put certain players in certain positions that where they had to perform. And, and, and I, we can go back to Jackson. You, I think he, you know, when I talked to him before the game, I asked him like, you're, you're going to, you're going to start tomorrow and you're, you're most likely going to play in a, in a holding role. Is that, is that a role that you're comfortable with? And he said, yes, he's like, he can play around the midfield, but he feels that he's more of a number eight. 
you know, he likes to get closer to the, the opponent's penalty area, but that he was, you know, willing to play in that number six role. And I think he did well. And you know, I think now there's, you know, there's an alternative there. There's a young player there that that's technically sound. Um, I think he did cause him like personally, he followed, you know, the tactics to a T and was really opening up Uruguay, you know, that he was, he kept he, that diagonal ball was, was on all night, you know, in the first half to, to Jordan Morris. And he was very comfortable finding, you know, pinging that ball diagonally. And he was putting Casares in, in a tough spot. And so that's something that Tabaras later referred to. And, you know, his quote was, um, so he said that they were very well prepared and they were technically sound. This is what he's referring to the U.S. Uh, they showed that in the first half with, di- with, with they showed that in the first half with a dynamic way of possessing the ball. It caused us problems and we made adjustments. The number fourteen played thirty minutes with complete freedom without anyone marking him. So after that, he said that we adjusted and we played with more composure and we dominated most of the second half. So that's, that is a good thing for the U S that, you know, certain pl- the, the midfield, I thought of Roldan and, and Ewell who, when, you know, when, when they're in those positions, they need to be smart. You know, that's not always a four, four, two, you know, they're not always sitting next to each other and defending. Um, you know, if, when it, when, when they have to be able to shift from a four, four, two to four, two, two, two defensive shape, you know, one joins the attack, one is sitting back. Uh, and, and I thought Roldan, and Yule did okay there. You know, I think they were they were in sync most of the game, and and you know, Yule sat back a little bit more, and Roldan was getting to the penalty area, like he had the header that Muslera saved, and so for a while, all those things were working. Um, and, and I think what you know, Leggett was was somewhat effective, but I think that that role for Leggett and whoever's going to play there continues to be like a big big piece for the U.S. Like, mm-hmm. can the holding midfielder and his and his you know colleague in the middle. In this case, you will enroll down. Can they find that other player, you know, between lines and, and in those like, cre- you know, creative pockets and cause some issues? So they didn't do that that well. And they really didn't have a ball hunting midfielder either. That's what that's why, you know, Betancourt never lost possession. They didn't have a guy that was really bothersome, um, you know, as you were covering possession. So those are things that I took away from from the match. But again, you know, it's it's really a way to evaluate, you know, talent in a way that they might not all be starters but Greg Berhalter I think has some decisions to make moving forward. Uh, it sounds like you also feel that way about uh, the United States defense. Uh, you wrote last night the questions were made about the USA's back four. Uh, who do you feel like impressed from last night and who do you think not even necessarily from last night but generally speaking from like the defensive options have you maybe seen enough of that you'd rather we move on from? Hmm. Yeah it's a tough question because I, I think that you know the back four. I, I think they 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 look a little fragile. You know they look a little out of sync. They're thinking a lot. They're when they're on the ball, it's like it's it still looks like it's a little bit too big for them for that that part of the tactic and that part of the identity of building from the back. Not that they can't do it, but you can you can see that they're not all comfortable. You know I thought Tim Ream obviously stood out. I mean he looks like a quality defender. Obviously he plays in England. Uh, he looked very comfortable in that role. And, and he was really clean with his touches, with his passing, um, in, in possession, well positioned, uh, look like, you know, he should be wearing the captain's armband. And I thought he played really well. Uh, Aaron long, you know, on the ball, I think we, we all agree that he, there's something there, you know, he, he can be a ball playing center back. Um, you, you know, you can't just completely, 
own the guy because he got uh, because he got owned by Brian Rodriguez. But again, that that wasn't a good look for them either. You know, a transitional defense isn't just on the back four. You're going back to the midfield as well. But they were really exposed in that part of of, you know, that part of the game last night. Um, and so I don't think the back four is, is solved at all. You know, Miles Robinson is still a, a big project, in my opinion. Um, a lot of upside, a lot of potential, you know, a, a big time physical presence and and he can improve. And, and I'm sure, you know, Berhalter mentioned him and, and a couple of other younger guys as, as players that will probably be part of this team for the next eight years. So but is he ready to just start? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think right back is completely um solved yet i think cannon does well um but is he the is he the answer is he the guy that you want playing you know at honduras or at costa rica uh same with the left you know left back position so i think the back four is just you, you, we're just wondering like what what kind, that is those are going to be some really tough decisions for greg berhalter yeah. who what is the right mix of players um considering what he wants to do um you know tactically Hey, everybody. Uh, Felipe still has lots to say. But first, I get to say that today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Talisman Caps. More specifically, talismancaps.com. They are makers of high-end, quality-made caps that help you support and celebrate your uh, football club. Uh, The international window is coming to a close, which means the leagues are about to kick back off. So if you are a fan of uh, pretty much any team in the Premier League or lots of the bigger teams in Europe, uh, they have caps for you. And a thing that I really enjoy is like for some of the bigger teams in, say, England, if you're Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Liverpool, Man United, they have like the letter cap where you could just get the like individual letters that make it clear that you're supporting club if you want to go that way that minimalist way or they've got the kind of minimalist logo so say for Manchester United they have like the red pitchfork not the whole red devil and the whole crest uh maybe some licensing issues there but just like the pitchfork that shows hey I'm like I'm a, I'm a fan but like you got to know who it is same thing with Arsenal they've got like the cannon just the cannon alone and not much else so again the minimalist design that shows you're the fan without making it like overtly obvious so you can wear that hat to to a bar and show that you're a fan but not necessarily have it be like bright and in people's faces and then obviously, if you are a fan of, say, the U.S. national team, either the U.S. men's or the U.S. women's, they have the USA collection, which is vintage jerseys, polos, uh, hats of different types and different styles to represent the U.S. national team, uh, either the men or the women, or U.S. soccer as a whole. Even the 94 World Cup, they've got some throwbacks to that type of gear. They've got the vintage vault, which is vintage jerseys from th- throughout the years, uh, mostly 80s, 90s, and today, which makes me sound like a light rock radio station DJ, but also uh, promoting the Talisman Cat brand. And best of all, they have a discount for our listeners. Uh, if you go to talismancaps.com and use the code TOTALSOCCER10, all one word, all together, uh, TOTALSOCCER10 for 10% off any order of $35 or more. Um, so once again, that's talismancaps.com. The code is TOTALSOCCER10 for 10% off any order of $35 or more, which is the price of one hat. Uh, so check out what Talisman has on offer. And thank you very much to Talisman for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to Felipe explaining all things. Things national team. So let me ask you this then: like, there's there's been much made of the idea of like, are, have the players bought in? The players are bought in. They're all super into it, or maybe they're not super into it. And like, like Pulisic went in for a slide tackle in practice. That shows how dedicated he is. Like, I think people are looking <laughs> for signs that the players are 
bought into the system, that they have embraced it. I'm wondering for you from last night in the mix zone or even from Burhalter's press conference, like, did you get the sense that Burhalter was more pleased with things and that maybe it was a, a slightly less uh, acrimonious uh, than it was after the Mexico game? And then from the players you spoke to or just that you saw playing uh, in camp, in training, uh, what have you, do you feel like there there is sort of a buy-in from the players that everybody's on board or is there still a little bit of hesitation or confusion? Um, it's a great question because, you know, I'm coming from covering Atlanta where we saw that, that, that was definitely the case. He had a divided locker room, one, you know, one part of the locker room buying into what DeBoer wanted to do. The other half of the locker room was like, no, we're not doing it. We we play this way. Uh, and they needed to find compromise. I I don't think that's the case in in the U S like, honestly, like I made an effort to speak to the younger players because I feel like when you, if you only speak to veterans, you know, they know what to say to you. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Sometimes, like, Brad Guzan is great, like a, a big-time really leader, big-time goalkeeper. Yeah. But, like, you can it, – it's tough to get something out of them that is really – not, I don't want to say genuine or authentic, but they're, think, they're, they're skilled, you know, in, in, in how to give answers without – saying too much. And so I chose to spoke again, you know, to speak with Jackson Ewell and, and Paxson Pumicold before the game. And then I spoke again with Jack, with Jackson Ewell after the game and before the game. And, and it's interesting that you asked me this because I was thinking about this today is that like, I feel like they sound like Greg Berhalter sometimes like mm-hmm. Jackson Ewell was saying the same things that Greg Berhalter had just told us in you know in the pre-match press conference about you know, the way you know about break, breaking lines, composure, bravery, uh, confidence, pockets, like all these kind of like the terminology. Um, it was just coming out of their mouths, you know, especially Jackson Ewell, which is probably a guy that's in camp and he's just like absorbing everything, you know, knowing that this is a big opportunity for him. Um, and Paxton as well, you know, Paxton sounds like a guy. You know, I was really impressed with him. You know, he is a very confident guy. Um, I think he's very confident in his abilities. He's confident in in his 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 teammates. Even like, you know, I, I think that the the quote that you that you read to me off the air is probably misconstrued. But at the same time, you know, I, I think that sounds just like him. He's a guy that will tell you exactly how it is. And when I asked him about. You know, what is, when you're playing Uruguay tomorrow, we know what Uruguay's identity is. What do you want teams that come in, you know, to, to a U.S. stadium playing you guys? What do you want them to think? And he's just like, we want them, we want to be a powerhouse. We want them to know that they can't beat us here. And it's just like, you know, he's, he's kind of like oozing confidence, but it's, is it naive? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but, um, he also was, had rave reviews about, Greg Berhalter, you know, he was like, I'm very lucky to be to go from Lucha Gonzalez, Todd Ramos, and now Greg Berhalter, like three different managers, but three very smart managers, you know, where tactics are important, things like that. So uh, I, I think he's getting, you know, Greg Berhalter is getting to the players. I, I truly believe that they 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 know what he wants. It's probably difficult when they don't get the results. But, I mean, we're talking about it's you know Mexico. You know, it's so much is is involved when you play Mexico. Um, it's not just about playing out of the back and, and breaking lines and all that. You're playing a rival. You're the, the, the stadium is hostile. Every touch is important. And I think they're still dealing with that, too. They're dealing with that type of pressure, and they're dealing with having to execute and conceptualize you know, new tactics on the fly. So, But I think they're buying in. I, I truly do that. I believe that they right now, early in this process, the players see something. You know, They want to be part of it. 
So uh, I know you got a deadline. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but there's one more thing I wanted to ask about. We had uh, Paul Tenorio on the show last night. He mentioned uh, that you had written a piece. I'm not sure how long ago. Maybe it was from the early days of Tata Martino, but it was about sort of how Martino went about developing Atlanta to play his his way and the kind of growing mm-hmm. pains that that happened there. And uh, I'm I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that from like the Atlanta perspective, but as it relates to Greg Berhalter, sort of of having seen a team develop and buy into a manager's style of play and sort of the evolution of that team. And I'm wondering if you see any correlations between that in Atlanta and this U.S. national team in terms of how the players are embracing what Berhalter wants them to do. Yeah, I, I absolutely do see correlations. I think it's just fascinating that, you know, Tata Martino and Greg Berhalter are always going to be connected in yeah. a way. You know, it's just not ever going to go away as long as they're managing these two countries. Um, and we know that they have great respect for each other. You know, Tata, when we were covering, you know, him and Atlanta United, anytime uh, they were coming up against the Columbus crew, you know, he was really, you know, he really enjoyed talking about the way that Greg Berhalter, you know, had Columbus playing. And he felt like they were one of the best teams in MLS, one of the strongest teams in MLS. And one of the few teams that had an identity that they, that he knew that they had a style of play and a belief in a system. Um, and, and so that's very important coming from an Argentine manager because, you know, my, this, my personal opinion is there aren't a lot of teams in MLS that have identities and not yet it's, it's improving slowly. Uh, but you know, that was what made Atlanta under Tata Martino so, you know, fascinating and so different is because right away they came in and said, we're going to play this way. You know, these are our convictions. This is what we believe in. Uh, we're going to win this way. We're going to lose this way. And of course, he makes adjustments depending on, you know, the the, the opponent they're facing or, you know, the, the stakes that are that are at play. You know, Tata would do that. But, you know, really early on, uh, and to go back to your original question, uh, you know, when they're coming off the 2017 um, lost to the Columbus crew, you know, ironically, and at, at Atlanta in, in a shootout. I you forgot, that, I forgot right? that's who it was. Yeah, I remember them yeah. losing the shootout. I forgot it was Columbus. So it was Columbus again. Justin Merrim was on was on Columbus. And the other day I talked to him and he was he, we were talking about just winning mentality. And he was like, this team, speaking about Atlanta, he's like, they haven't lost anything big um, since we beat them here in Atlanta. Uh, and I thought about it for a second. Like, yeah, I guess you could, you know, yeah, you know, they haven't had a, you know, a big shock since then. And it was a shock. And so immediately after that game in 2017 and the piece, if you look at it, if you look for it on the athletic, it's a big kind of a feature that I did on Jeff Lorenowitz last season. And he, Jeff Lorenowitz is, is the, the key part of the story because he was the one that told it to me and he ended up being very important to the system. So he was like, you know, as soon as we lose the next time we're allowed to train, we're at the training center and Tata is like, we're going with three in the back. We're playing three in the back today. And there was some confusion and there was some of the players were apprehensive. Um, and not just because it was three in the back, but because he was like, Oh yeah. And by the way, our center backs are going to overlap and attack and they're going to be in the box. And you know, our wind backs are going to do this. And it was just like full, full force attacking soccer. And Lorena was just telling me that like the guys are, you know, the first training session, some guys are coming off the, off the field. Like, what is, the, what are we doing? You know, like Tata wants us in the box. Like I'm a defender and da, da, da. And, it, and, and then in his case, then he was told, Oh, and you, you, Jeff, you're, we're going to build from, we're going to start playing from the back and you're going to have a, you're going to receive it from Brad at the top of the box that you're in box. You're going to have a guy on your back and we're going to play through this. 
And so Jeff Lorenowitz, who had at this point in his career had already played probably 350 MLS games, had never been in this situation ever. And he's telling me about how there was like there's a fear factor involved. Uh, he remembers doing it like against uh, I think the New York Red Bulls in the inaugural game, or or no later in the in the 2018 season when they started to do it. I'm sorry. And the the opposing MLS teams, he told me he was like, "You guys are crazy. Like, what are you doing? We're gonna kill you guys." Um, and so as soon as he realized that like they could play out of it and they had certain players like Miguel Almiron, that if you can break lines and get it to him, you know, you've got an opposing team pressing you because you're playing out of the back, you're opening up space and you're just beating guys, you know, you're beating teams, you know, ruthlessly. So, but it was very hard for them. It, it wasn't something that they just accepted. Now the South Americans, on the other hand, they were okay with it. You know, you have a guy like Leandro Gonzalez Pires that when I spoke to him last season about Tata and the belief system and the, you know, this guy was like, he would, he, he would get so, so intense when he would talk about what they believe in. And he was like, it was coming off a two nil loss at the New York Red Bulls last season, right, right towards the end of the season, big game for Atlanta United to lose. And he's like, yeah, we lost. We got outplayed a little bit, but we're not going to change. This is how we play. And when we lose, we realize we, we believe in it even more. And so there is a correlation here happening with, with the U.S. and Greg Berhalter because he's asking these guys, young guys that are, you know, they don't play in the same system around the world. Some guys are in MLS. Yeah, and now he's asking them to do a lot more, to take in a lot more very quickly, um, playing out of the back, being brave, making mistakes. And the microscope is on, you know, the, the, it's all under the microscope. It's magnified because of the two, 2018 failure. So there are correlations. And I think those two managers, what they have in common is that they, they tend to not deviate. They believe in something. And when they believe in something, um, it's tough to argue with them. And, and they see progress when us on the outside, we see losses and we see guys that may not be ready or may not be technically sound. You know, they see opportunity. So what I'm hearing from you is that we should expect the U.S. men's national team to win MLS Cup this year or next year and then U.S. Open <laughs> Cup the following year. Is that how it works? That's well, the remember, remember in the 90s when national teams would play club teams? There we go. Maybe, maybe we need to get back to that. And <laughs> then right. the U.S. would really be competitive. There we go. All right, cool. All right, well, until that, <laughs> until that happens, I'm guessing we'll have you on to talk about other things, Felipe. But thank you, as always, for coming on the show. I know you got your deadline. I don't want to take up more of your time, but I just wanted to say, Felipe Cardenas, thank you very much, as always, uh, for helping me make sense of the U.S. national team as well as many other things. You're welcome. Yeah, and, and look out for the piece on The Athletic. It is a little bit big picture. I mean – you, to your point, Taylor, it's hard to take a lot away from that match against Uruguay, but I think it is an opportunity to look at what is what is the long-term plan, and I know U.S. fans probably don't want to hear that because it's a sore spot for them. You know, like, what? why are we do? Why are we here? Um, but it is a big-picture moment um, leading into Nations League, you know, big matches against Canada, and then you're just a year away from from qualifying so it's a it's an opportunity to say okay is this plan working and what exactly is it all right well uh, i will i will look out for that in the meantime i will link to the uh jeff lorenowitz feature I, paul did say it was one of the defenders that you had profiled and that's where that story came about so uh, i will try to find that and link to it for people who subscribe to the athletic if you don't you should probably do that and you should go ahead and follow felipe on twitter as well because he was out there breaking news you were uh telling us who was going to be starting i i saw you post it on reddit you, ma you made it to the big time felipe oh did i <laughs> not only did i make it to st louis but i made it on reddit there we go um, all right <laughs> those are the big dreams things. 
things. Big things, yeah. All right, Felipe. Well, thank you very much once again. We always uh, enjoy having you on the show. All right, Taylor. Anytime. Anytime.